Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Shutting down. Too much, too much, too much, too much power. Um, while we're doing this, some of you guys uh, want to know one of the commentaries I was using, and this was the Galatians. It's a Galatians uh, commentary right here uh, by our friend uh, Craig Kinnear. I uh, wonder if he's related to Greg Kinnear. Um, ah, anyway, that was the book there. Welcome to my messy, messy day. All right, well, I'm going to guess you can hear me because otherwise you could probably be texting me you couldn't hear me. So there you go. Listen, um, we're going to just jump into Galatians because this is the longest we've ever gone through the first two books of Galatians. And uh, I'm standing up today because I just wanted to use my, my seat as uh, for my notes and make this as comfortable as uncomfortable as possible. So I'll give everybody just a few more minutes, let a few more folks show up. But yeah, we're, um, I'm very excited about this Galatians study and where it's been going and really doing a, a, a deep dive into the, into the, the scholarship of Galatians. And just finding out how like how amazing that is. And so today we're going to talk about some difficult subjects like uh, nationalism. And it's going to come up in this particular chapter because uh, it's something that Paul was dealing with at the time and what that that looks like. So um, once again, hey, if you guys can hear me, just throw me a thumbs up in the, in the messages or just let me know. Um, but yeah, so this one I've been extremely excited about because I think it's very relevant to what we're, where we are with this country and where we are as the world. Thank you, Chris, for the thumbs up. Um, where we are with the country, where we are with the world, where we find ourselves. And I remember there was a book, I think Brian McLaren wrote it called, was it Brian McLaren or Brennan Manning? The Story We Find Ourselves In. And I think this has a lot to do with it. So we're going to tread over Galatians 2 again because that's where we've been for the past, I think, three weeks. <laughs> um, but just, just this last part um, where Paul rebukes Peter, and then we're going to go through that a little bit. So, um, oh yes, good evening to those folks who are in the Netherlands. Uh, so Paul... As you know, the book of Galatians is quite an incredible book. I was talking to somebody about it the other day, you know, and just saying how it's so interesting that a book that's, you know, kind of this, this book of rebuke, but also, uh, you know, trying to, Paul to be like, look, I'm a real apostle. Like, you know, kind of trying to prove himself as a real apostle and uh, is also one of the greatest writings on grace there is. But there's many reasons uh, for that. And I think we have to go over uh, the rebuke of Peter again. We did it last week and we'll do it this week, but we, we need to go over it again because I think we really need to see the power of what's happening here and what's going on with the Gauls and what's going on in Galatia and what's going on with uh, the uh, Jewish sect of Christianity, Ju Judaizers who were some of the folks who were coming into Galatia saying, hey, you know, Paul's not good enough. You know, you need to change, you need to, to, to obey certain holidays and have certain religious restrictions and things like that. And Paul's saying, you know, it's not about the circumcision being the big one. Obviously not popular. So here in Galatians 11, uh, I mean 2.11, one of the things that's so interesting is, is like, I've read this a million times and we've talked about being rebuking Peter, but it, it's always just not been that big of a deal to me. Like it's 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 like a cool thing to see, and like and, and I've always felt that he was just trying to say, "Look, I'm 
I'm unreal apostle. I rebuked the, the top apostle, so obviously I'm the real deal. I rebuked Peter. But it goes way, way deeper than that when we read it within its context and uh, look, at, look at what the scholars have to say about it as well. So three, I mean, 2.11. But when Cephas came to Anatoch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned for, for until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and he kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy that even... Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that the truth of the gospel, when I saw them, but when I saw them, they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you through a Jew like a if you, though a Jew like a Gentile, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so I'd always kind of seen this, like I said, as, as just kind of Paul trying to prove to the Judaizers and his opponents that he was, I'm going to turn this light on so I can read a little bit better. There we go. Um, to the, prove to the Gentiles that he was an, a, prop, a proper apostle, that he was an officially apostle. But that's not what's happening here. I mean, that is what's happening here, but it's also happening in a very, very different way. And so I wanted to, I took some notes. I want to share those with you. So Paul's dramatic illustrate, dramatically illustrates how fiercely committed to the gospel of the Gentiles he is by this confrontation of Peter. So, I mean, he really wants this message to be clear of how important inclusion is. And I don't think that's something we often think about when we think about Christianity. We're always, you know, for me, growing up, Christianity was always who's in, who's out. And there's still large sects of Christianity who are that way. And you can see that it was, it was like legalism and separation and identity played a part of this faith, of the Christian faith. You can see straight from the beginning. Um, scapegoating was automatically just included. And Jesus, ironically, who was supposed to be the last scapegoat, if you will, um, is, is really what Paul's trying to defend here, is that we can't continue to use each other as scapegoats. We can't continue to blame each other for our problems. And things aren't going to change if we continue to exclude each other. If we continue to blame and ignore each other, if we refuse to sit and have a meal with one another, if we, re if we refuse to uh, be connected with one another. So, so, yeah, it's a dramatic illustration that he uses because here he is, you know, rebuking Peter, the leader of the church, uh, the rock, the foundation that Jesus said he would build his, his church on. Um. So the, 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 the Jewish conservative movement was growing and growing, and it was not just growing through Judaism, but it was also getting into Christianity. And what was starting was a type of Jewish nationalism uh, through, and I know that this is like a touchy time to be talking about that type of thing, um, but I think we've got to look at this in different ways, not just with Jewish nationalism, but we can look at it with American nationalism or any type of nationalism. So it's not just one particular group, but we are looking back into history to see what was happening at the time. And so there was, was a, a conservative type of Jewish nationalism beginning to really grow in, in these later years. And this would have been around the time, you know, 40, 50 years after the death of Christ. So this would have been around that time that that's really growing. And so when, 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 when Peter is being confronted by Paul, it's an Anatoch, Anatoke, and I, th I think I'm pronouncing that right, you know, it would have been really something that was on the move at that time, that type of nationalism, that growing of us versus them, um, being true to who we are. Uh, this is who we are, and this is who they are, and this is what separates us from them, was a big talk. Um, 
And so it was an increasing conservative movement of nationalism. And it seems like what Paul, well, actually what Peter was doing was trying to avoid conflict. Okay, so you know, it's so easy to be like, well, Peter was just being a bastard and, and <laughs> you know, and all this. But I have a feeling like Peter is running churches, not just a church. He's overseeing all these things. And he's got a group of folks in his church that are getting bigger and bigger and a movement that's happening within his church um, that maybe he's trying to avoid. Now, one of the reasons Paul mentions Barnabas is because the Galatians, the people in Gaul, would have known Barnabas. They would have, the Gauls would have known Barnabas. The people in Galatia would have known Barnabas and probably been with, with Paul at the time. And so what he's trying to say is like, listen, my, my, my assistant, you know, my, my co-worker who's worked with me, who knows these facts, was drawn to separate himself from my Gentile brothers and sisters. Like he knew better, yet he was influenced by Peter. And it's almost like Peter not knowing how, he may have known, he may have not known, but how influential just that type of movement was for him. And so, you know, the circumcision faction, as it was called, or just the circumcisions, um, you know, made Paul fear maybe the, the less, you know, was afraid of the, the, the less nuanced thinkers. And that's the thing that happens today is that we don't allow a lot of room for nuance, especially like in this day of like Instagram and Twitter and all the social media stuff. It's like, and, and with comedians and, and things like that. And it's always so interesting to me how we're, you know, <laughs> the people we focus on worrying about um, that distract us from actually making things constructively happen. Like we're, we're, we're like these people who like, you know, leprosy, we go into a leprosy colony with band-aids, you know, and oh, we'll just put a band-aid on. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All taken care of. And uh, we just, uh, we just ignore the disease, you know. Oh, oh, your finger fell off. <laughs> just tape that back on there. And I feel like that's what we do is we, we, we major in these minors. And, um, and so what happens is when you get into the point where you're afraid of nuance, but you're also avoiding diseases, we become completely separate as, 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 as humans. And, and, and based on what, politics or religion or uh, race or culture or tradition, you know, we become completely separate. And that's the fear that Paul has with Peter making such a drastic movement of just not willing to sit with the Gentiles. Um, now, it was part of the Jewish tradition, and this is why when we look at Jesus, when Jesus is, is eating with Gentiles and prostitutes and notorious sinners, as the New Living Version says, why does he eat with people like that? Um, and... Uh, so why do you eat with such scum is what they said in, 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 in the New Living. And it's hard for us to understand like how important meal sharing was at the time and that it was building a covenant. And we talk about a covenant, This to them that was a covenant. And for the Jewish leaders, for the, the Pharisees, they're, they're, they had rather be put to death than eat common food. And what by common food that meant Gentile food. And they would say like, Gentile pollution. Like if Gentiles were there, they polluted the food. They polluted, they pol they polluted the, 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 the purity of the food. I mean, it's insane to me how much that sounds like, you know, stuff I heard in, from white supremacists when I was growing up in the South. You know, this kind of like impurity and this mixed races and they would all say this crazy crap. And... Probably all of them are a bit mixed because if you grew up in the South and you had slaves and your great-grandfathers and grandfathers had slaves, it was more than likely that you were a mixed person. Anyhow, um, or had relatives that way. But they would say stuff like that. And so the Jewish leaders at the time, the, the, uh, the Pharisees, were, were, were worried about the, the Gentile pollution 
So rising nationalism was, influ nationalism was influencing uh, even the Jewish believers and Christian Jewish believers at this time, excluding Gentiles was part of this. Though This was a big part of the nationalism was excluding Gentiles. Now, I would say probably the majority of folks who are tuning in right now would be considered Gentiles. I would be considered a Gentile. It's someone who's not born Jewish or has not converted to Judaism. And... Um, so, so excluded Gentiles was, was part of this. And returning to the law and its customs were seen as part of the nationalism. So part of this was even for the Jewish Christians who were getting into it was like, well, if we want to remember who we are and, and be proud of who we are and our heritage and our life, then we've got to continue to keep these religious customs of our time to be separate. And that made us chosen people of God and our outward, you know, appearance and, 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 and how we eat and how we dine and these things we do. And one of the things that you get with this is because Paul is confronting this issue, and I've had people say this to me before, is that accused Paul of being anti-Semitic. And, I mean, even just like I think in the past year, uh, when I was on Twitter, I was having a talk with a guy who was very smart and, and very studied, but he kept on telling me that he thought Paul was this anti-Semitic teacher. I'm like, well, Paul's Jewish. And he's like, well, you can still be Jewish and be anti-Semitic and blah, blah, blah. And I think what, where that comes in with, especially for folks who don't realize of this type of nationalism that was on the rise, this type of realizing that this moment in time, like if we've got to decide what's going to happen with Christianity, <laughs> amongst its leaders, you know, are we going to be exclusive or inclusive? Are we going to accept all people or, or not? You know, are we going to just, are we going to go back to the traditions? What, what are we going to do? I mean, this was a big moment. And Paul, a, a religious leader in the Jewish church himself, who's converted to Christianity, um, is now afraid of that happening. So he's going to these folks. He's being like, listen, You know, these, we can't go back to these things. We can't do these things. And I think some people's maybe basic understanding and the willing, to, you know, and not wanting to have to go read like this type of thing in like five of these, you know, in different books. And I get, you know, a lot of us would just love to read the Bible for face value. But unfortunately, the Bible is a 2000 year old book. It's a collection of books and you kind of need to know what they are if you want to have semi-decent theology, you want to grow in that, you want to understand that, it's, it's not just this simple book. Because I think if we take it just at a sixth grade, simplistic, for reading what it's worth, it can become a very dangerous book. And we can use it to almost be like pick and choose. They're like, you know, the verses become like little fortune cookies and we just go, oh, I'm like this one and I like this one. And then we can argue with these little, well, I've got this. Well, you've got that, you know, and like we've got the Pokemons of battle of, of uh, Christianity. So, so that's where, 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 where Paul, I think, gets this idea of his pushback on, on Jewish nationalism at the time, around 40, maybe 50, where he's, pushing back on this within the Christian narrative and people think, oh, he's anti-Semitic and he's going, no, 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 I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm just, I'm, I'm pro-human beings and this is the new covenant and this is what I'm trying to explain what Christ did and that we're all one. I'm not anti-anybody, you know. Matter of fact, I'm pro-humanity pro in a way. Um, Most seemed to feel if Gentiles would convert to living as they do, that that would be a good place. Like, maybe we can get Gentiles to convert and then obey the holidays and do these things. But a lot of us, even more conservative, were always just very, very suspicious of Gentiles. And it's, it's interesting today because I feel like the church is like separated into like liberal, or we are progressive <laughs> and conservative and... And it's just, we're back to the same thing. We're back at the same table, you know, it's like we're back at the same table with Peter and Paul. We're all standing there and everybody's, you know, except now it's just like a bunch of group of people here and a bunch of people here. And we're just going like, oh, everybody's, you know, 
suspicious of the other, you know, and everyone, oh, they've got it wrong and we've got it right. You know, that's kind of how the, the church looks. And then to be outside of the church and you've got another table of people going like, what are those nuts doing? Um, so there was an expectation in the churches to do the same as tradition required. So in the Christian churches as well, this expectation was expected on them as well. So it wasn't like, well, I'm a part of the church here, this Christian church, and you know, I go to a church, not a synagogue. I'm, I, you know, am I exempt from this? And the, the answer was no, you're not exempt from that. So this is, this is what's happening. You know, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of probably chaos in some ways happening. And they're probably going like, why in the heck did we let Paul into this thing? And they're also probably very happy that Paul came into this thing on other ways because they're going like, okay, well, it's, it's forcing our hands to have this talk, even when it's uncomfortable. And sometimes we need those people to come in and make us uncomfortable, you know, uh, good trouble, you know, this kind of idea of like, we get become comfortable and we don't see the problem anymore. And like I said, you know, band-aids at the, uh, you know, on those who are, you know, well, you lost your finger. Um, So, you know, the, the, I'll, I'll explain some what this looks like. What did this look like if you were a Gentile? How did this appear, you know, what, if you were a Gentile or if you were uh, someone in, in the Christian, your Jewish Christian church and, and you were kind of going like, looking over some of these things, what, what were some of the things that came along with that? And uh, so we'll look at that. Um, like I said, they expected the churches to play a part in this, so this is why it's important. Uh, fear that the Gentiles uh, would contaminate the food that they were that they were eating, you know, that they were sharing. Um, Gentiles' homes were considered unclean, so you, you know, like you couldn't even go in, like much less eat with the Gentile, but go to their own home. That was just seen as ridiculous, um, and that's why you see why the Pharisees were so mad when Matthew, when Jesus went to Matthew's house, and there were all sorts of people in there, even tax collectors, the worst of the worst. Um, Gentiles, they couldn't go to, they could, they could not, uh, when they went to the temple, they could only go to the outer court of the temple. They were not allowed within the, well, obviously the Holy of Holies or this, I don't have a map of the, the, <laughs> the temple, but they were on the outside. Literally, on the out, you know, the, the, they were on the inside, but like one level out. So they were not quite in and not quite, you know, so it was like they were only the outside of this temple because they would be seen as so unclean. Um, you know, so you had to be, you had to remain vigilant to make sure that your food was not made unclean by Gentiles constantly. Um, they had to go to the outer court of the temple. Uh, some said that eating with Gentiles was eating unclean fat, flesh. Like, so not even just like if the, it was a sacrifice, the food was sacrificed on an aisle or not, just the fact if there was a Gentile at the table, the food was contaminated and you were eating unclean flesh because you were sharing uh, a covenant meal, um, which were all meals at that time, with a Gentile. So you've got that happening as well. They would also avoid businesses with, with Gentiles three days before the festival to any holy festivals to avoid any impurity. So they were saying like, don't eat with Gentiles. Don't hang out with Gentiles. <laughs> Be vigilant against these Gentiles. And don't do business with Gentiles three days before, we, before any holy festivals because we don't want you to come into the festival unclean because you just simply went and did business with a Gentile. So, nationalism here is the problem. People will be like, oh, are you anti-Semitic? No, 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 no. This is just what happens when nationalism creeps in. You know, also, I don't want my cake to be made by a gay person, or I don't want to make a cake by a gay person, or I don't want to do, you know, everybody starts to have their idea of what the nationalism is supposed to look like, you know. Um, but when you come down to the basic idea, and, and it was... Uh, John Hume, who said, 
you can't eat a flag. And he said, you know, no matter how nationalistic you are, when the basic needs of hunger and food, you know, aren't met by nationalism, they're met by kindness from others. And I really love that. And to push this point even further is that this was not, this wasn't even the most conservative folks. So this is kind of the, the overseen understanding of just, this is, oh, this is what we believe. This wasn't even the, this wasn't even the most conservative. Um, some rabbis would warn against leaving animals at Gentiles' inns since Gentiles were suspected of bestiality. So this is how they felt, like, oh, don't leave your animals at the end. Don't, you know, they might have sex with your animal, and then it's unclean. You know, I mean, this is the type of thing that was, the church was facing with these two communities. And that, so when, when Paul says at the end of Galatians, you know, stop nitpicking each other, stop tearing each other apart, because you may tear the whole church apart. You know, you may tear each, you may tear each other apart. This is literally what's happening. People are tearing each other apart because it's, you know, this type of nationalism is creating a type of racism and scapegoatism that just says, you know, I mean, that's why it's so powerful when we'll get to it, but, you know, I'll go ahead and say it, is when Paul says there's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Gentile. I mean, Paul is really hitting it, and we're going to hit why he believes that right now. Um, But we often, and this is what I wanted to hit pretty hard, is we often treat nationalistic or ethnic alliance uh, uh, stronger than the practice in our membership in Christ. Like we're often, our nationalism or our own uh, ethnic alliance is more important than Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, I totally understand that. Um, <laughs> but if you are a Christian, that was the point of Paul saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile. What he's saying is, is there's not these different opposites. They're not, they're, there's not enough. We aren't, the, you know, we aren't others. You know, we are one. We are united through Christ. And Paul is trying to make that really clear. So that's why it's really strange that we have these two groups constantly fighting with each other because I feel like Paul would have to come in again and say, well, there's not really progressive or conservative or apologetics versus, you know, this type of theology versus that. You know, we're all one and you guys need to work these things out. And you need to be careful of biting and devouring one another. That's why we talk about disagreeing well. Um, but in order to just even disagree, you have to be in the same room or maybe share a meal together and have a conversation. You know, this is the things that following in the footsteps of Christ or following the Christianity is important. You know, I've had a lot of progressive folks say, well, I won't talk to those folks because they don't recognize me as a human being or they don't, and what they're saying is, is they don't recognize my culture or they don't recognize my sexuality or they don't recognize this or that, so I won't recognize them. And this is exactly what Paul is saying don't do. Paul is saying you don't want to return that for that. Like, they don't recognize you, so you're not going to recognize them, so nothing changes. And that's what Paul is here to say, is I'm trying to change it. This is why Paul is saying, I had to rebuke Peter. I had to rebuke the head of the church for sitting with the wrong people, for dining with the wrong people, because if this continues to happen, we are going to destroy one another. And here we are, 2,000 some odd years later, repeating it over and over and over again. You know, and finding new ways to separate ourselves, finding new ways to, oh, I don't like that, so I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't like that, I'm going to, you know, rather than confronting it, rather than trying to see, like, can we actually make this a community? Can we actually make this a faith of inclusion? And uh, that's a tough one for so many people. But that's what Paul's doing here to the Galatians. And um, it's important to know that. So let's go on further to see what Paul has to say about it. Shall we? <laughs> Come along. Okay, turn your books over to uh, your Bibles. I want to hear those pages flipping, guys. Um, turn uh, over to Galatians. We're, no, you don't want to turn because we're staying there. Galatians 2.15. This is what 
what Paul is saying to Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now this is just right off the bat is pretty big, not Gentile sinners. So Paul is speaking their language like, we're the chosen, we're not like these people. I mean, it's saying like by birth, we're not like these sinners, these others. The them, the those, and we all have others. And that's the thing is like, we're, you know, <laughs> I think, I mean, I was trying to strangle the phone someone. Ah! You know, it's like, this is what Paul is trying to help us to get rid of these othering that we continuously do. You know, it's so much easier to raise funds and have a big church if you're going like, these people are going to destroy, oh, we're gonna, we got to win the people to the Jesus so we can save the world because if we don't win them to Jesus, they're going to pervert your kids and it's going to be horrible and scary and... So we got to make money and do this. You know, it's, it's easier to do that. Like me, I have to be like, hey, I just want to be able to do this next week. Is that okay? You know, um, you know, and I get it when you fall into that, that understanding of, of, of well, we're somehow better than them. We're somehow chosen by them. You know, we're somehow God's chosen, um, especially if you're, I guess, like, a, you know, like Calvinist and that type of thing, you would think, well, I'm predestined and I'm a chosen person of God, you know, that type of attitude, which means though those people aren't chosen by God. Those are bad people, blah, blah, blah. You start to do these not dining with people, not hanging out with people. I mean, growing up in Christian, I was always told you don't hang out with those type of people. You don't do that type of thing. And I was like, how does any, you know, Oh, people get saved because you have a rock and worship band. Oh, well, that's it. Is yeah, <laughs> the church is going to have to hire musicians outside of the church just to get people to come in, and they did it, you know. And they're like, oh, you have a skate park, and the kids will come, and they'll love it, and they'll get Jesus, you know. We make them come to us. You got to have good bait. I would hear like that kind of stuff all the time. I think in some ways that was what my parents one wanted to give place for people to be comfortable. And Christians to come and relax and have fun and be like, you don't have to all be, you know, bored. But it was also kind of thing of like, and won't people that the, the world will come here and they'll get Jesus, you know? Um, so we ourselves Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the law. You know, so it's, it's, it's being made very clear the, that these reasons for separating have nothing to do with salvation. Now, Paul is not saying, Jews, you got to get rid of your customs. you got to get rid of those. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying these customs have nothing to do with knowing Jesus. These customs have nothing to do with being accepted or included. You know, these traditions are beautiful, but they don't save you. These traditions are not what, what brings grace. Grace is grace. You are accepted, you know, Jew or Gentile. You know, that, that's what, what Paul is trying to say here in this, this moment and why he's so, um, you know, using this story as well to kind of capture the attention of these folks who are reading this because they're going back to that. They're happening the same thing that's happening at that moment is happening to the Gauls in Galatia where they're being like half of the Gauls are be, the Gauls are being rejected by, by more conservative Christians and saying, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. And these Christians are saying, no, well, you've got to do that to be saved. And Paul's trying to say like, you don't have to do any of that to be saved. There's nothing wrong with the law but you're not saved by the law. That's just not how it works. And these people are saying you're saved and you're accepted only by the law. And even then we're a little bit worried about having dinner with you. Um, faith in Jesus Christ. And we come to believe that Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one, now listen to this, no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. And Paul's trying to be like, Jesus became a Gentile for us. 
you know, Gentile sinner. Jesus, Jesus died. Jesus did all this stuff. This because that's Paul's belief system there. Christ, you know, this is why Christ died is, is, is so we could all be equal, equal. We could all be one. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too. You know, all are saved. All fall short, but all are declared righteous before God, you know, because of the, the sacrifice that Christ made. That's the words of Paul. So, to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But I build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I am demonstrate that I am a transgressor. And that's what we're seeing is that Paul is saying you're rebuilding the old system. You're recreating the law. And I'm going to go further to say that that's what's happening when we see like types of Christian nationalism, but not just Christian nationalism, but when we see um, people on the left saying, Christians on the left saying, well, I won't dine with Christian nationalists. You know, so then you have this whole thing of we're rebuilding this purity code. This code that says, this is who's in and this is who's out, you know? And, and it's funny because I follow a lot of like younger leaders in the church and they, it's like, they're really cool and they're really groovy. Some of you look like me and they still have these, these walls of the law, of a new law, another law that, you know, it's like another gospel that Paul talks about. It's another law that pretends to be the law, um, <laughs> that they build that go, well, these are who we'll dine with, this is who we'll be with, this is what's good. And so we're still, uh, have a purity culture. The left has a purity culture just as much as the right has a purity culture. It's just, uh, you know, you might not want to see it that way, but it's true. You go, well, I don't, I don't say that, I don't think that, I don't do that, you know. Um, the progressives are a lot different than they were when the, in the 80s. I mean, for me, at least, um, <laughs> it seems. But neither side is saying, like, everybody's in, we're all included. I mean, some are saying that, but there's still... Now, th now, let's look at this, though. Paul does... Paul's not just saying, like, you know, this is part of the great part of this, is, is that grace isn't pulling punches or ignoring the truth, but grace prevails despite of. Or in spite of, you know, in spite of the law, in spite of these things, Paul's coming in and telling the truth. He's saying this is the issue that's happening. We're all separate and all this. But does that mean all these people are bad? Like, does this mean like, oh, the progressives I'm talking about are bad or the conservatives I'm talking about are bad and, and can't have grace? Well, it's unmerited grace. So they have grace already. That's the whole point. Now the point is saying, hey, you have grace. You were like this, but you're not like this anymore. That's an old thing. That's old tradition. That's old stuff. That's just not the truth. It's misinformation. As Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. would say, you know, people aren't the enemies. Misinformation is the enemy. And so that's why it's so important to do this, this scholarship work and go deep into these verses to really understand what's happening here and not just be like, oh, well, we'll just all be divided and hate each other and we'll tell each, each other they're going to hell and they're not really Christians and their fruit's bad and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can do that all day, but, you know, what's needed is some tough conversations. And, uh, and it's tough. I mean, that's just, that's, that's dying to your flesh. That's picking up the cross. You know, that's sitting at the table of the other, um, no matter who the other is. But we find ourselves transgressors, transgressors is when we rebuild these systems or when we build new systems to put up new walls, to be a, put up new ways of holding each other apart. And uh, that, my, with my work, is one of the things I've been trying to stop happening for probably almost... See, we've been doing revolution for 30 years. I'd say for about 28 years, that's been my work is trying to help people tear down these divisions, these otherings, and, um, and, and trying to keep people from living in these bubbles. You know, that's why you hear some of these outrageous preachers sometimes, you know, um, because they're in a bubble and they only believe what they believe because they're only in this one world and they only see what they see. So, you know, it doesn't matter what alliance you're in, it's just this is your world, and you can tell they don't really go into other places. 
I would love to see the church for me is be a place where we don't have to go to a place every Sunday, you know, where we can listen to online talks or we can go have a drink with somebody or a meal with somebody. And that that's just being a follower of Christ and being that is just a part of life, just like anything else. You know, it's not, we're not separated. You know, people talk about, well, the Bible says we've been separated. Yeah, but you've got to live life. You know, it's not, not physically separate. If, if it was physically separated from certain people, like, you know, you can't do that. I mean, the only people you're supposed to really separate yourself is people who don't want to help change. They're, like if they just so stuck in this false narrative that they don't want to change. And I don't even think that's saying separate from them. I think it's just saying don't allow yourself to be under their influence, but maybe get to the place where you see them as Paul saw Peter and said, hey, this has got to change. Speak truth to that, uh, to that person who is... Uh, fallen to that type of misinformation and misrepresentation of what Christianity has called us to be. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In my life, I how in my life, and the life I now have, now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, I mean, he's really like saying, like, I had to die to all of this. Like that's like the law is dead to me. I'm risen anew. It's something new. There's this thing called grace that's really amazing. I mean, you, you listen to, to the work of Paul, and Paul is always talking about what Jesus has done after, like what Jesus' death happened, what, 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 what fruit came from that. He's not often talking about like, and then Jesus sat down and talked to this guy and did that. He doesn't seem to be even like concerned about the life of Christ as much as he is concerned with what this means, what what. God being abandoned on the cross actually means to us as human beings and to each other. And that's something that's trying to call us all together. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the thing here is we're looking at this and going like, okay, so this type of supremacy or nationalism or these type of things was a part of, of, of our church in the beginning and it was something that was not looked at favorably by the Apostle Paul. Um, you know, I believe we can also become anti-nationalism factors too. And, you know, and, and then that's our identity. And I think that's not, like, I think Paul's always saying, like, you're always going to have the lack. You're always going to, you know, there is no identity but identity in Christ. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. That's what we're called to do. And so it's this, all this is summed up on those things, but we need proof. Well, I need scriptural proof. I need to know what the Bible says. I need to know, you know, and, and it, it, it's, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the abuse of religion over years and just the lack of understanding of faith and teachers who are not quite uh, prepared to be teachers. Um, and that's tough. I mean, I've had to study my whole life for this. And, and I feel like this is the deepest we've ever gone to Galatians. And I've been doing this thing for 30 years and doing the study for probably uh, over, <laughs> well, almost, yeah, yeah, almost 20 some odd years. So, you know, obviously it takes time. Paul goes on to say, he goes, but if I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me and my life now I live in the flesh. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. And I really like that part. It's like I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And he's just saying like, if if grace, if acceptance, if justification comes from doing things, comes from our culture, Christian culture, any culture, or anything like that, then there's no need for Christ. And I remember one of the times when I was, I must have been 20 years old, 
maybe even 19, 20 years old. And I started revolution stuff and I was meeting with my friend D.E. Polk. And some of you have heard me talk about him. He's becoming a bishop, actually, next, in the next few weeks. Um, he'll be Bishop D.E. Polk. Um, I remember I was smoking my cigarette outside this thing, this, this event my dad was putting together right after he got out of prison. And, and I was doing revolution. And, and this, was, this changed me so radically. That mo this moment that I'm telling you about changed me so radically that I was literally a, just taking a week to go help my dad off from revolution. And this moment changed me so radically that I called my friends in Phoenix, Revolution Phoenix, and said, I'm not coming back. And I went to work with, I went and lived with D.E.'s family again, who had helped me out when my dad was in prison in, in Georgia because they lived in Georgia, so I lived with them. But D.E. said, Jay, he goes, he goes, you're so full of guilt and shame. And he's like, man, he's like, and he quoted this verse to me. I didn't realize he was quoting a verse to me, but he's like, you're making Christ's death in vain. Like Jesus died for nothing for you then. And, and we talk a lot about atonement theory and what that actually means and what it doesn't mean here. And, and, and that's not just, to me, just an easy answer. Um, but at 1920, I was like, wow. Like, he's like, you're trying to earn your salvation. You're rebuilding another system. You're trying to do it on your own. And I mean, that was the moment that my message was born in that moment. And unconsciously, I don't think I even, I mean, unconsciously, I may have known how hard and that was hitting me. Consciously, I didn't. I just thought like, oh, is he trying to, what's he trying to do? Is he trying to manipulate the Bible so he can get away with his own sin? I mean, these were the thoughts I had. I'm like, oh, he's always been, he's always been one of those who talked about that grace stuff, that, that grace stuff that seems so loosey-goosey. And, but it was that time, the beginning of my journey, where I was like, I need to understand this. I need to prove this. And that's when I started reading the Bible for myself and understanding and going deeper and deeper and deeper and finding out that, unfortunately, I was told to take the Bible seriously, and I did. Nobody liked what I found, at least not my <laughs> family or a lot of my friends. But I stuck with it. And, um, and I'm here today, 30 years, been doing this now. But this idea is, is, is that I do not nullify grace. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So what do I do? Do I rebuild this system? And have we rebuilt this system is the question to ask. Is how we, we rebuilt a system that excludes others based on our morals, on our purity culture, on what we find to be pure. Like, oh, you know, we only accept people who are inclusive and pure like us. Or we only accept people who don't sin or don't have premarital sex or aren't practicing homosexuals, you know, those are, you know, those, that's another, that's a purity cultural too, or don't have sex till you're married, you know, we don't, we don't accept those people, and then we go like, well, we don't accept those people who say that, you know, and so we rebuild these systems of law because it just makes more sense to us as capitalists and everything else, it's just, well, you know, you can't interact with these people, and that's why Christianity is based on faith. That's why Christianity is a religion because it's asking us to do something that's out of the norm. It's asking us to do something that's contradictory. You know, it's asking us to embrace a contradiction and love your enemies. What? Love what? Who? You know, um, and love your neighbors. I mean, I'm, I have a hard enough time loving my neighbors. You know, they chew and they, you know, really loud or things like that. Or they, you know, mow the lawn in the middle of, you know, at the, the dawn, butt crack of dawn at 1030 in the morning. Um, <laughs> You know, so the realization here is, can we not rebuild the old systems? Can we not create the who, the exclusion? Will we continue to exclude those who exclude us? And I understand if you're doing that to take care of yourself or doing things like that, but if you're a leader and, and, and you're doing something and you really feel like the call of Christ is on you to do leadership, it's, it's time to say, how do we have these tough conversations? How do we argue well? Because Christianity is saying, yeah, it's time to take up that cross. But there's also time to sit down and heal and pray for people from afar because that's, that's parcel part of loving your enemies is saying, hey, I'm going to pray for my enemies because right now I can't be with my enemies because if I was, it would be a lot of rebuilding old systems. It would just be such a trigger for me in my life that I would rebuild the old law and it would make me worse and I don't want to do that. So I've got to give grace to myself, but also by giving grace to them by not 
creating chaos. So there's that, there's complexities, there's nuances. And uh, you have to make room for those nuances. So it, nothing is, I wish it was black and white. I wish I could sell you some sort of like really easy answer, but there is no answer. And I really feel like this is where we're, 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 we're trying to go as, as a community um, and where the church needs to return to. And so that's why I believe Galatians is such an important thing. So I, I think for some of you too, I mean, maybe this is a good time to think about like <laughs> next Thanksgiving or things like that when you sit down and, and if nationalism comes up, I mean, you can say, hey, well, my understanding is that's what Paul was trying to keep from happening, not something that should be happening. Um, and that we should be more inclusive, not, not more exclusive. So anyway... That's a lot to say that, but that's, that's today's study on uh, Galatians 3. And uh, is it Galatians? No, Galatians 2. <laughs> but we will get to Galatians 3 next week. And uh, I'm continuing to be excited about this study just because it's been such a deep dive in understanding this. You might have to go back and listen to some of this stuff, but um, it's worth it. Hey, um, just also don't forget to follow us because, you know, when we have little breakdowns like we did at the beginning, little, uh, you'll be alerted that we're back online on a, you know, on another, a new tab is opened or whatever. Um, and, 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 and like these talks, if you can, that really helps us a lot. If you like these talks, um, that would help us as well. So like, and following revolution really helps in a lot of ways. Um, another way that really helps us is financial support, and we are um, keeping our head above water. We're trying to raise $75,000 this year to keep the church going and to have a budget. An actual budget would be nice because um, right now it's very thin <laughs> and it's very tough, but we've been doing this for 30 years and we'll continue to do this. Um, you can go to revolutionchurch.com, and the first thing that's going to come up is donations. We put it up top because that's where we're at. That's the kind of need we have. And you can make a donation um, there, which would be really helpful. Um, so we can continue to do this work and do more of this stuff and do more meetups and more online stuff and more in-person stuff. You know, it's just, uh, right now, it's just pretty much me and my buddy Josh who helps put these up. That's it. And uh, we, we could really use your support to, to do more. Um, like the good old days. I'm trying not to focus on the past, but I would like to do more and help people more and continue to get this message out. So revolutionchurch.com, you can support us there. Another way you can support us is by sharing these talks. When we share them, you share them. Putting them in your stories on Instagram or retweeting them on Twitter or you know Facebook, put them in your stories. Those are other ways you can really help us by just spreading the word and letting people know what we're doing and uh, bringing folks here. So thanks so much, and I will see you next week for another uh, deep dive into uh, Galatians. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.